And that's why all these mindfulness exercises are coming in, because people are so quick and are so fast to come up with a coping mechanism without even knowing whether it's the right coping mechanism for the situation. This is the strategy behind with Adam Cox, Yutta Tobias Mortlock and Matt Wilkinson. In this episode, we explore the strategy behind accepting reality. What does it take to uncover, evaluate and objectively see things for what they truly are? Accepting reality is... This is going to be a really interesting conversation. So to start, I just want to put forward a couple of the archetypes that I've seen play out in businesses, in society. Um, putting your head in the sand is, you know, hey, I don't want to deal with this. You know, it's, it's you know, stepping away and kind of turning away from what is actually going on. There's fake it till you make it which is this approach. Interestingly, I actually researched that. I actually went in and kind of, where did this saying originate from? And interestingly, it came from a 1973 uh, injunction from the Securities and Exchange Commission against a company, I wrote it down, which was called Dare to Be Great Inc., which I found quite amusing. So there you go. Fake it till you make it. Dare to be great. Very good. Um, Inc. Inc. And... Probably my favorite is from the modern philosopher George Costanza, who famously said, if it's not a lie, it's not a lie if you don't believe it. So when you look at these kind of just random three examples that sprung to mind, if you don't believe it, then it must be true. If you put your head in the sand, then I'm creating a new reality because the reality I'm hiding from doesn't exist. And if I fake it till I make it, I'm putting myself in a reality that doesn't yet exist. What am I fundamentally doing? And this is where I want to throw it to Yuta, because this appears to be some form of like, you know, mythical self-delusion that I've seen in leadership all over the world. But what's actually happening? Like what is driving people to actually embrace these lines of logic? I find that so fascinating. I'm so glad you're you're actually saying that these three archetypes are actually delusions because Mm -hmm. all three of them are a partial embracing of reality, aren't they? They're all Mm -hmm. selecting a sliver or a slice of reality and they're focusing on that. And that is completely different to how we conceptualize acceptance in psychology So in psychology, acceptance is an increasingly cool term, actually, um, because it's it's come out of a whole tradition of behaviorism. And and acceptance is the big theme of the third wave and the third dimension of behavior therapies. And so acceptance is really cool because in psychology we're saying embrace what is here in its totality, not from a fatalistic kind of roll over and, and just let everybody walk all over you, but in, a, in an experiential way. And so by that, I mean, accept and embrace the good, the bad and the ugly, especially the discomfort that comes with whatever mm-hmm. reality is. And then if you're willing to actually do that, all sorts of new perspectives and insights open up. 
And so in behaviorism and in behavioral therapy, we are super interested in people moving to accept rather than avoid, which I think relates to the three archetypes that you've just been talking about, Adam. Mm. Matt? It's it's really interesting that so far we actually haven't really spoken too much actually about the process of acceptance or, or even the perception of what is real. Um, and so for me, the, the, we have, the, the first thing is, is actually making sure that you understand that what you're perceiving is as close to the truth as possible. You know, coming from a chemistry background, you do your A-levels and you get taught a certain model of the way that atoms interact with each other. And then you move to A-level, uh, sorry, to, to university to chemistry, and they basically tell you that everything you've learned before is wrong. They were just helpful models. And so you then move into another model of the, of, of the way that atoms interact, and it's more complicated, and you start seeing all of these other bits and pieces around it. But it's still just a model, and you keep, le- you keep learning more and more advanced models um, that address, should we say, almost say specific uses. Um, none of them are necessarily correct or incorrect. In fact, all of them have a level of inaccuracy about them because they're all just models of mm-hmm. what the reality actually is because we can never really know because it's a quantum world and you know there's, there is always that, that level of uncertainty when you move into Heisenberg's realm. The, but there is that ability, the need to be able to find the, the appropriate model from which you can view the world around you. So if I just take today, we've had a lockdown, a change in lockdown stuff to do with the pandemic. There's a whole host of changes that are raging through the news media. Social media is awash with he said, she said, you know, the, the whole US election. You, you would think that the world was in chaos. And yet I can look outside my window and I'm living in a peaceful street and there's clouds in the sky. And OK, it's not particularly fantastic, but it's not raining. There is sun in the sky. I can see some blue. It's getting a bit cold. But the world isn't as bad as that perception that you'd have if you just focused on the TV. And I think, you know, we get very caught head up in all of this um, incoming information. And so I think the first step of any acceptance is actually understanding what is the reality you need to accept. Ah, and, I love- and, then, mm-hmm. and then from that, it's about learning... Can you accept it or are you avoiding it and deluding yourself about something else? Matt, sorry for interrupting. Um, I thought you were, what you said was super critical and super important because you said we get het up in, you know, do we accept or do we not accept? So the opposite of acceptance is getting het up and fighting and mm. basically, you know, like from a, almost from a, information processing perspective Mm. fighting the reality that we're confronting or that we're facing that is the opposite of accepting Mm. rather than just allowing the conflict or the Mm. conflicting information to be there just for Mm. a moment that i think is the distinction that we need to make in the first instance to say when people are not accepting they're effectively resisting they're they and by resisting, they're jumping the the process that I think we're going to unpack mm. to get to good decisions, 
good leadership, um, good strategy being implemented. And, and what we're saying, I think, and what I'm hoping that we're going to be talking about more is what's the process of slowing down the way in which we encounter the conflicting, the difficult, the challenging complexity mm. that mm. if we're allowing ourselves to see it, to see it. Yeah, I, I mean, I love what you're saying there. And I think for me, one of the, the, the critical things that, that I'd love us to unpack today is that I think we live our life by specific models, right? We have specific mm -hmm. stories that we tell ourselves that these are the, the truths that help us make life a little bit less complicated. This is the way we do things. We get up in the morning, we go to work, we don't worry, you know, we embrace the heck, the busyness of the tube in the morning. We embrace going into busy, crowded offices. And then all of a sudden, a massive change comes along. And I think that's, in my mind, where all of a sudden you get that fight and you saw so much angst against a shift in, in what the reality is because all of a sudden the models that people live by don't hold true anymore. And I think that's where you get that. A lot of people deluding themselves wanting to believe that a, a conspiracy theory is perhaps more relevant than a, than actually just the fact that there is a virus that somehow got into the world and governments just don't know how to handle it properly because it's so new. And we don't really know what the appropriate level of response is because, you know, obviously having, you know, any death is too many, but then a certain number of deaths will happen anyway. So how do we get that balance right versus the economy and, and, and a whole... A whole set of things where our realities have changed dramatically this year, and yet, from a lot of you know, for a lot of us, we still get up in the morning, we have our breakfast or whatever we do, whatever we did in the morning, we follow our morning routines, we carry on working or not, but we're not. A lot hasn't changed, but we focus on the change rather than the things that stay stable. Mm -hmm. I, I think what we're doing is we're laying out at the moment kind of the first fork in the road, which is our relationship with reality and then our relationship with the reality that is internalized. Like one is external, one is internal. Like, mm -hmm. Matt, what you're talking about is very much um, conflict, change, change, you know, change behavior, um, you know, reconciling change of models. Um, and it's, you know, there is something happening in the world and I, the individual who's receiving this information, need to reconcile that. However, if it challenges my, the way that I see the world, then that is another layer of complexity that I then need to reconcile. The other side of that is that ultimately truth is subjective. I think it's in Buddhism, there's three types of truths. There's conventional truth, provisional truth, and the ultimate truth. I looked at that and I'm just like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and like, what does that actually, like, you know, are we talking different layers of abstraction or are we trying to get to something that is more definitive that everyone can then agree on except, okay, well, this is the truth that we're all going to rally around as a leadership team, as a society, as whatever, and then bond around that and then make relevant decisions. So it's kind of internal versus external because mm -hmm. within the internal side of things, I think, I, so I really want to unpack this because I think from a leadership perspective, I have stood personally, and I know other people and probably you good people have as well. You've, you stand in front of people and you're like, what am I dealing with? Am I dealing with someone who doesn't have, 
you know, or refuses to accept what's actually going on for whatever motivation because they're just, you know, um, they understand this is probably going to have an adverse impact on their reality or their circumstances. So they just don't want to deal with it for whatever it happens to be. Or how much of that thinking then starts to tiptoe into borderline personality disorder <laughs> to go, hey, I'm not going to touch this because of what I think and how I think what I think. And that's where I'm interested in, you know, and we're definitely going to get to the models and the ways to kind of navigate through this. But I'm just interested in from an internalization, like what makes people turn away from what is actually going on? I think it has to be fear at its core because it's either fear, resistance, the fight that you speak about, Yuta, or, 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 or something else that kind of that mm -hmm. triggers to go, I'm not buying into this irrespective of whether it's the truth or not. Mm. It's so interesting. Um, I'm not sure if it's just fear or other things that are related to this type of negative emotion, but it's definitely to do with our almost natural and instinctive recoiling from stuff that feels uncomfortable. It could be fear, it could be um, almost just, you know, annoyance that something is not quite how we like it. You know, almost we want it to be simple and it's not that simple. It's not necessarily fear, but it is just um, discomfort or it's not pleasant. And we, as, you know, as humans, I at least, um, don't like to feel uncomfortable. I don't like to feel... Um, like not knowing. And the thing that I wanted to bring to this was this amazing term that relates to this whole, the whole psychology of it. Uh, John Keats, a long time ago, talked about negative capability. And so he said negative capability is a man's uh, ability to withstand running away mentally from something. It's um, a man's ability to tolerate ambiguity, to toler tolerate uncertainty to tolerate mysteries and I think that's really important um, without you know um, reaching for and I think he said you know without this irritable reaching for ready-made solutions and I think that's what it speaks to Adam it's mm. it's this capability to be in the in the unknown um, because conversely by saying this I'm answering what you're talking about I think it's our fear of the unknown that gets us to not accept what is. Yeah. And I also think adding on to that, there needs to be an acceptance that reality doesn't always have to make sense. Right. Mm. Which is the node that then feeds into ambiguity, uncertainty, complexity, yeah. risk, anxiety, all of these things that we're ultimately trying to mm. find answers for so then we can make sense of something and and ultimately make a decision or, or you know, behave accordingly. But, you know, the world isn't perfectly written fiction where everything makes perfect sense in the end. Pretty, Reality doesn't yeah. always make sense. So yeah. I think acceptance of that would have to be one of the first kind of things to look at because, and, yeah, go, go on. No, no, you go, keep finish oh, your thought. Yeah, it's, uh, I think there's this point around, no, I had a friend of mine ages ago, he was going through a hard time and he just was, you know, kind of you know, getting into drink and just not doing anything, just wanted to check out. And I remember he said, I'll deal with reality when it starts to improve. 
And I'm like, okay. So he kind of put it back onto the inputs to be like, well, justify why I should get involved with this. I'm perfectly happy sitting this one out. I thought, well, that's an interesting behavioral characteristic of dealing with it. It was consciously going, I choose to opt out of what is what I'm experiencing at the moment. So I don't know if that was someone tapping out due to capacity, threshold, tolerance, trauma. And I'm quite sure in the world of trauma, I imagine there's quite a lot of this where, you know, the way that people, that trauma victims, I remember I've watched some things on, done a little bit of reading, the way that trauma victims will start to deal with these things is that they'll build fictional realities in their mind. Again, to George Costanza, mm-hmm. it's not a lie if you believe it. So, mm-hmm. you know, and I've, I've seen that at senior leaders in corporations and managers of teams. We see it in governments and politicians and this sort of thing. They just build this construct that then leads them into a position of confidence to act how they think they should act irrespective of the circumstances, but usually in favor of a preconceived outcome that they've concocted or, they, or they're trying to achieve. And that's dangerous because that's mm-hmm. when you're making decisions based on a flawed set of assumptions and biases and facts. And, and yeah, history is littered with examples where that goes. And the social science data is getting stronger and stronger, stronger that, um, it's the opposite of the the quality or the characteristic of people's people leaders um, thought leaders in organizations and in any societies or groups that gets people to get the right things done and so it's this closed mindedness versus open mindedness um, and open mindedness is one of the key characteristics of opening up doors literally like opening up um, accessing, tapping into intelligence, tapping into creativity. Um, you guys have both heard of Beyond, right? The the psychoanalyst that uh, that that is so good at talking about group processes. He said open mindedness is the key skill to mastering life. And the the thing that I want to add to this, it's not just about you know accepting and being open that we need, but we need to literally stop ourselves from rushing to solutions and i think that's the really the other difficult bit about acceptance that is so unintuitive to us right so it's unintuitive to experience stuff that's unpleasant but it's also unintuitive not to jump to do and i think that's what i'm uh, i'm coming back to john keats this negative capability so how do we cultivate this capability of not rushing to do to just sit in the not doing. And the cool thing about that is that when we watch people, leaders and groups almost dwell in the unknown, subsequently all sorts of good things happen. All sorts of functional things happen. But when they when they have this impulse driven, you know, there's an itch and they eat scratch. More often than not, short term less intelligent solutions get created. So it's interesting. The way that I've understood what you've just described is almost very similar in relation to finding the space to tap into creativity. Because if I can find a space where I'm looking for answers, you know, I'm, 
I'm pushing myself to look for answers. I'm not finding them. The world is not certain. I don't like the reality and the circumstances I'm being placed with. If I can find that mental space to actually kind of you know, check out, quote unquote, for a couple of minutes or however long, and just find that stillness, not only will I start to compute what is actually going on, because I'm not hunting for an immediate answer or a quick fix, I'll probably come up with better thinking in relation to a set of possible solutions. Yeah. And I think just to add to that, I think if you're looking at creativity from the, you know, from a comedic perspective, at least, Mm -hmm. then you have to be able to see reality for what it is. You have to be able to see through or cut through a lot of the noise to see to, to reach that that those core truths, whatever layer of truth it is, that you can then use to make something funny and resonate with people. Um, and I, so I think it, you are right, and and I would say comedy is probably one of the ultimate expressions of creativity. There are other ways to be creative in that that in that area, but the, it, it's always. When you're lucky working in the marketing world, whether it's branding or positioning or any of that, you're looking for those core truths, those those one very simple messages that really, really just cut to the cut right to the chase of what you're looking to do to achieve that the core story that you want somebody to to think about you as an organization, as a person. Um, you know, and that that really does come to that that sense of being able to distill out what is the what is the truth so am i correct in understanding what you're hypothesizing or asserting is that in times of ambiguity or where you don't have complete information and you're not really liking where things are going one of the things you can do is really find that stillness and go back to first principles in relation to who am I, what do I want, or what is good for me, where am I taking this, and then kind of become a little bit more dependent on that. Yeah, and I, and I would I would almost argue that it's not it's going beyond who am I because that's incredibly subjective mm. to more um you know can I can I feel the breath coming in and out of my lungs can I you know what what am I what am I experiencing and actually being very much more in touch with the, the, the senses that you're getting mm-hmm. and then being able to track those back. Um, I, there was a mindfulness um, exercise I learned where you would sort of try and lie down in a dark room and it sort of comes down to meditation where, and you know, it's probably very basic mindfulness and yet I'm sure you'll be able to tell us way more about this, but essentially the thoughts will come in and rather than engaging with the thoughts, it's about recognizing and allowing them to slip past. And so it's almost about recognizing the sensation, seeing the sensation for what it is, but not engaging with it. So if you feel cold, you're not running to get a jumper and breaking that meditation. Mm-hmm. I feel cold. That's interesting. And, and then how is that impact? You know, and then sort of, probe how does that feel on the you know on the arms of you know on the skin on your arms or the hairs or those sorts of things and and I think that's really where you're able to pull back to a very fundamental level as to who as to self if you will without the construct of who we are to then be able to build up a better perspective of the outside stimuli that we then need to respond to yeah and I think uh, we're almost re through all these you know 
new next-gen technologies. We are re-educating ourselves in a world that's, that's almost created delusions and that creates, has almost created too much top-heavy stuff that prevents us from seeing reality for, for what it is. Because either putting my head in the sand or overreacting is effectively a coping mechanism that is the opposite of just sitting with reality. And I think at the core of what we're discussing, guys, actually, I'm, I only realize that now, is creativity. It's actually allowing for creativity to happen in all sorts of directions. And creativity has to be allowed. And so this word acceptance is very similar to allowing. And, uh, and you know, and the, the evolution of, um, of our knowledge of this, like, you know, in, in, again, I'm coming back to behaviorism. Um, when we started to understand behavior in humans, like in the 50s and 60s, Skinner, um, we were doing animal behavior models and we were saying people can be conditioned, right? You know, if you op do operant conditioning on somebody, you can predict their behavior. And Skinner said, the rat is always right. So if the rat does something that you don't expect, you've set the conditions up incorrectly. That's the first wave of our understanding of why people do the things that they, that they do. And then we started to realize that uh, actually people do all sorts of irrational things. And that's when we're, we're realizing that people are actually not staying close to reality. The sense, the sensory reality that you're speaking of, Matt, right? Almost relearning that I sense something, I feel something. And so the second wave of behavioral therapies uh, was talking about, you know, Albert Ellis, cognitive behavioral therapy. I have an irrational thought. It's irrational for me to disagree with you if you're my authority figure, but I do it anyway. I sabotage myself and you because you've hurt my feelings. And that's irrational. So it's adding another dimension onto behavior. That makes sense. But this, the base behaviorism still stays. And so we understood a bit more. So we're starting to talk about why people are irrational and how we could get people to be more rational again. And the third wave of behavioral therapies is adding another insight, another perspective has opened up and it says, actually, we're not that interested in what's true or what's right. We're actually more interested in paying attention to what is here and re-educating ourselves to be with feeling warm, feeling cold, feeling pleasant, feeling unpleasant before we start solving the problem. And that, as it turns out, tends to be really helpful for people to make good decisions and to be creative. And that's why all these mindfulness exercises are coming in, because people are so quick and are so fast to come up with a coping mechanism without even knowing whether it's the right coping mechanism for the situation that we're finding ourselves in. Mm. Let me throw a spanner in the works. Come on. In the current times. Last time I was in Tokyo, uh, I managed um, a good friend of mine put me in front of, at the time, a state-of-the-art um, virtual reality piece of kit mm -hmm. and strapped me and took me for the ride of my life. And as you have VR and AR start to work their way beyond gaming but into actual functional elements of society of healthcare of workplace you know how to have meetings and you know all these different things are now coming in the the game of what is reality is now about to become multivariant 
And that brings with it a whole mm. new set of challenges because, you know, the stuff that I've been exposed to recently from a tech perspective have has blown my socks off. It's it's now at the point where I'm like, yeah, this is good to go. Whereas, you know, five years ago it was still, uh, it's a bit clunky and you can still see the edges now. You can completely immerse yourself in, it, in, in, in a different reality. And it only takes about two to three minutes before you're there you're like you can you can see it you can feel it you can touch it and you've completely abandoned where you physically are and your brain has now jumped into this world driven by technology um and it's fantastic it's incredibly <laughs> addictive with the click of a button you can go here or there or you, know, you can ride you know a blood molecule up through the leg and into the heart and back out into the brain. You can jump on, on you know, the surface of Mars and walk around and pick up rocks and just all sorts of crazy stuff that, from a reality perspective, it's happening. So mm -hmm. I'm interested, Yuta, from your take, what's actually happening in the meat between my ears? Is this something that the stimulus is there for convincing my brain that this is my reality therefore this is the next step in relation to you know kind of stepping away from the actual reality like am i just you know am I, is it is it just a technological representation of what it would be 20 years ago if i just sat there and imagined these things and i believed it to to them to be true like what's actually going on neurologically here do you think uh i'm i'm answering this in absolute uh, in in the way that we're now in the third wave of behavioral therapies are believe is, is useful. Let's wait for the fourth wave. But the third wave of answering a question like that is, it doesn't matter all that much what is truth. It matters much more to, to discuss and to go and talk about what's the function of me immersing myself in that reality. And what does it do to me? Do you see how I'm sidestepping your question? Hmm. And I don't mean to sidestep your question in no, a nasty no. way because, no, first of all, I'm also not a neuroscientist anyway, right? Um, and I'm saying that in, if we are radically, like this is radical behaviorism. So <clears throat> in radical behaviorism, which we're finding is much more liberating because guys, we're talking about freedom here as well. We're talking yeah. about acceptance and acceptance in order to be free, to actually choose something that is right for us that we've thought about as opposed to um, denying or compulsively coping with something that we don't like. Um, so in radical behaviorism of the third kind where we're saying we're not just machines that are manipulated, we can't just invalidate each other's in, uh, irrationality because it just doesn't work for all these complex problems, right? So um, just doing cognitive behavioral therapy is just not good enough. If I say to you, you're irrational for getting worked up right now, boys by me speaking too much and you wanting to speak right um it doesn't help the thing that helps is to say what does that vr experience do to us and in the situation that we're finding ourselves is this something related to things that we value and that are important to us or is this something that might be actually moving us away from what's important or what's valuable so I can't deny that these, you know, these VR experiences are becoming more real and that they almost are, are messing with our experience of reality. Mm. And the thing that I think is interesting is um, what's the function? What is helpful 
and what is less helpful about me going into that reality rather than staying in my own. It's, and just to layer on top of what you've both said before we yeah. unpack it, there's a really interesting um, sort of few developments from the tech world that I think is really going to mess with our ability to discern reality from, or, you know, truth from, from, from lie, if you will. You know, obviously we've seen the, the amazing deep fakes that people are creating, but there's... Uh, the amazing what? Deep fakes where you can basically show somebody... I think the, the, the traditional one was a Barack Obama saying something that he never said before. Basically, you take the video and you manipulate it in a very clever way. And of course, when they first started creating these, these were very, you know, they were challenging to do, but they were, they're incredibly convincing. NVIDIA, with its latest uh, graphics card, has just brought out some technology that will essentially allow um, uh, us to send much smaller pieces of information down phone lines when we're having these videos. So essentially it will take the photograph of the room we're in um, and then it will iterate on what our face is doing. So rather than us actually having the a live stream of a video and feeling that there is some real connection down, down a line on, on through the screen, um, which while a poor substitute for being in person is at least a substitute, all of a sudden what they'll be doing, there'll be a photograph of me sitting in my chair and the movements that I make will just be plotted against a subset of um, uh, subset of points in time, you know, on, on my, you know, in, in, in space. And then it will be re reanimating my photograph. And so you can then take that to a logical extension where that reanimation may not be me. It, that reanimation could be an avatar or a photo of somebody else. Um, and I think you start moving into a world where the 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 differences between the reality of who we are, what we look like, become very different from actually how do we make each other feel. Mm. Um, so we can start to appear, you know, it's a bit like that going into second life all of a sudden. You're going into another, you know, you're turning video calls into a second life experience where actually we become somebody, you know, we can be whoever we want to be. Yeah, so, so this, this conversation is going in a very interesting direction. So let's just look to the future for a moment because you're absolutely right between VR and AR and deep fakes and AI and all this stuff that's really gearing up and some of it is incredibly challenging. Um, I was reading a paper oh, maybe six months ago from, from an American kind of political journal and they were saying that they expect within three years' time um, – uh, video footage of, of politicians is generally speaking not to be trusted because oh, yeah. the technology is here where I can make anyone do anything. I know um, uh, AOC was in, I think, a Senate hearing or something and she was talking about um, some deep fakes that were going around about her in relation to, you know, pornography and how they'd been kind of handed around the political set. And she was like, hey, have you seen this? Have you actually seen me do this on video? Because obviously it's not me, but you can't differentiate that it's not her. And as soon as you start kind of messing with this, you are creating other realities. So let's just kind of, you know, this conversation is about accepting reality. But just for a moment, let's step forward. Because what is reality based on the media and the things that we consume as individuals and as professionals and as leaders is about to become a whole lot more challenging. So the, 
the the difficulty around reconciling what is reality is going to have a the game the, the the rules are changing. Whereas you know, if 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 I gave you a video of me drinking this glass of water, you go, Adam's drinking a glass of water. But if it's done with you know some particular technologies, then it mightn't be me. It mightn't be water, and it may not have ever happened. But you've got visual representation of this that you are now accepting as truth. So I can see already this level of scepticism in particular corners of the internet is starting to get traction here where they're like, you know what, I don't trust anything I see. And this is potentially one of the drivers that people are doubling down, particularly on conspiracies or they're making up their own minds or coming up with their own version of reality that you can't tell people right or wrong because they believe what they believe because the way that particularly technology is taking the truth, quote unquote, um, is becoming less and less credible. So accepting reality, Matt, to some of your points in relation to, okay, well, who am I fundamentally in this set of circumstances and kind of reconciling your reality based on not what you see or your environment, but who you are in it mm. might be the right way forward. Because I think this topic is going to get a whole lot more complex over the coming couple mm. of years. I hear you. And I think that's really important to talk about. And what I would like to bring on the table then, piggybacking on what, what you're doing, Matt, uh, the question of who am I and what is right for me or what's important for me becomes even more important. And I think we we almost want to steer that conversation towards a, you know, what's what's good for me or what is also good for me and for the, the, the bigger, you know, society, what, what's what transcends just what's good for me personally, uh, raiding the planet, you know, using all the natural resources at the expense of other people, what's good for us. And I think that that goes to this um, values-based living that I would like to dial up in the discussion um, because I have to necessarily, based on what you guys have said, dial down the the discussion around what's real and what's reality because we will not know that much anymore and it's going to become more and more con confusing. Mm -hmm. And so um, in the game that we're playing here, um, the question that we could ask is, is this real? And that's a question about content um, and we might not be able to answer it. But we could also ask, is this helpful? And that's a question mm -hmm. about function. So what is helpful in where we are and where we're moving to towards? What are the identities, right, Matt? Mm. Who are the, what are the who's of who we are that we can dial up or the conversations about that so that we don't wreck this whole planet and so we can actually start, continue to live together in a more con consensus-driven way than what we're seeing in the last few weeks before the US election right now, the polarization being almost complete. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I like where this is going because what you're putting forward, Yuta, is a morals and principles-based evaluation model, mm -hmm. which I really like because you know, I've, I'm moderately well-traveled. Uh, I think I've done 80-plus countries for, for work and travel. And things. Moderately, darling. <laughs> well, there's 200 and what, 16 or something? I've, I've got a few to go. The problem with more travel is you realize how much you haven't seen. Um, 
the 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 trick that I think, or that you know, the thing I'm tr- I'm trying to grasp after, is really one of where. Let me think this through. Where, how do we as individuals start to reconcile reality based on a on a moral compass or on a moral set of values when there are very different moral values in different parts of society? The one thing about travel is that I've realized is that the overwhelming, overwhelming, overwhelming majority of people on earth are good people. And the overwhelming majority of people on earth all want the same thing. Food, opportunities and education for their children, roof over their head, peace, like just fundamental things. Everyone wants the same thing from the back blocks of Addis Ababa or, or, or Chittagong to, to central London. Everyone wants the same thing. We are significantly more similar than we are different. Mm-hmm. However, when you look at kind of the way that the environment is fra- framed up, divide and conquer, countries, borders, immigration, all of these sort of things, political faith, sexual persuasion, gender, like there's, there's a lot of lines that have been set but I'd, I, I want to pull this thread a little bit, Yuta, this, this, this approach of using a principle or moral-based construct to ensure that even if we don't necessarily understand what's happening in reality at the moment, we can all move in the same direction create, to create the, a mutual reality based on what we all value, as opposed to looking at deepfakes or VR or the news or... I don't want to watch what's happening because I, I, I'm not ready to deal with it or whatever happens to be driving it internally or externally. Because I think linking all this back to leadership, you know, this sort of thinking, this sort of line of thinking feels like there could be an awful lot of value in it if you can get everyone on the same bus. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Strategy Behind. I actually think we need to even uh, walk quite slowly because if we were to get to a discussion about morals and ethics, we almost need to do a step beforehand that is about exploring possibility. And I really want to bring into this this discussion now this this really cool premise of... um, you know, mindfulness-based, acceptance-based therapies. That is, let's hold the truth a little bit more lightly than we normally do. And all sorts of good things happen when we help people learn to explore potential, learn to have conversations about what if this were true? What if you didn't have to, for example, take the need away to improve the bottom line? You know, what if you could accept that you are in a declining industry. Do you see where I'm going? By asking these questions, I'm, I'm inviting you to, to almost become a bit more playful. And I completely accept that if somebody's watching or listening and they're saying, easy said, you know, hard to do if you've got people hanging off you and depend on you. And I'm asking you to hold the truth lightly. It's, 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 it's almost, a, it's a mindset thing, right? It's, it's about almost becoming a little bit less rigid in the difficulty that we're facing by saying, what if, or um, how could we, 
or uh, what does it feel to see the world in a different way so that we create a bit more potential so we, we become a little bit more um, flexible so that we almost allow the conversation tone this is about tone of conversation mm. to shift from certainty to you know did we say did we already say that this you know this capability to be in uncertainty this liminality guys you know like mm. you know the, the things that we all experience but we don't really focus on when we when we change state from child to adult like you know it's like this the word liminality is all about you know transitioning but could we focus a bit more on ah transition states potential um possibility and in that way shift the conversation away from needing to solve the puzzle Matt, what did you it? want to say? So I'm kind of backing up a little bit um, yeah. because there was a lot of the conversation got me thinking about the potential for kind of the the, the approach that, that a lot of my, you know, bringing out the sci-fi geek in me here, um, but a lot of the, you know, the, the, the great sci-fi authors will have sort of changed one thing. They'll go into the future, but they'll change something significant. So what happens if you could store your, consciousness and implanted in another organic being in the future you know um, sort of altered carbon or for example total recall what happens if i can implant memories i know i no longer need to travel ah. i can go off and have an experience i don't need to go to mars to go to mars i've already been there because i've just been in and i've someone's programmed that into my brain mm. and then my reality is that i did those things so my reality could be that at some point I went to Japan and learned Japanese and then all of a sudden I'd still know Japanese even though I never went to Japan and learned Japanese. It just, uh, the, the, the concept of what our reality is is based on what we remember and, and, yeah. and where we've been. And if we can start messing with that, which we're already doing through so many different mediums and we're going to start doing it increasingly over the next years and decades um, through VR, AI, AI and, and a whole host of other things, at some point you have to come to that values-based uh, approach to self of, of decision-making because nothing else is real. Because you can't trust anything. You can't trust anything you remember because maybe somebody's just you know, injected you and put you in a machine somewhere and all of a sudden you're, you're, you know, your memories are rewritten. Um, and and if you're going into to virtual reality, for example, um, versus the real world, and it's so real, how do you tell which one you're in? And you would have to behave consistently in both. Otherwise, you create a huge disconnect between those two and you'll end up having behaviours that you could get away because it's just a computer game and therefore you can go around killing all sorts of people because it's just pixels on the screen through to being virtual reality where actually that could lead back lead back into the real world if you can't distinguish oh, between the two well this is a lot of the psychology work that's been done in relation to the training of warfare and the impact of mm. games and and you know remote warfare through drones and these sort of things mm. and training simulations and what it actually means 
you know, for people to now, you know, be, you know, do, do, you know, conduct military exercises in, you know, in, in very real world scenarios, but do it from the comfort of a beanbag in their lounge room. Absolutely. Um, but, yeah. I, I remember going to, to Anne Frank's house twice. Um, so I went first time as a 13, 14 year old. And at the end of walking around the Anne Frank house, um, the first time I went, there were lots of black and white still photographs. Now, I know that you can still fake a photograph. There's some, been some great examples of that in history where people have done things with fairies in photographs and all sorts. But there was a reality. I'll look it up. They're fantastic. Um, they wouldn't pass muster today, but still they're great. Um, but because they were real on a piece of photographic paper, you, you, who would question it at the time? They were some of the first fake photographs. Um, but if you look at those pictures, they had so much impact. Now I'm not sure if then if you if you look at me being older or and having seen you know been through the the the, the story before but when I then went back the they changed the way they'd done it they'd archived the the physical photographs and they were showing the photographs on TV screens and all of a sudden even though the imagery was the same uh, there was a dis. I felt there was more of a disconnect because of the medium through which you were seeing it. So we've already. I think we've already learned to um, distance ourselves from the reality of what we see on the screen to an extent, mm-hmm. because of movies, because of all sorts of stuff. So we we numb ourselves to the moving picture a little bit. But I think if we then put those memories in, we're going to really struggle to um, to you know to to to, to make that difference. Okay, so you've touched on something really interesting, which is reality authenticity. Hmm. So if I, if, if I see something in the newspaper, am I more likely to believe it than what I would be watching it on the 6 o'clock news? Potentially. Because, you know, the news that's fit to print, it's in ink, it's hard, it's, there's, no, there's you know, less perceived manipulation in relation to this thing that I'm that's holding. That's generational, I think. My kids wouldn't yeah. agree that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and like Matt said, you know, you're getting older, so now it's, mm. it's, this, it, it's, it's this change in scepticism. But then there is also, I think, what this opens up for the opportunity for reality to be manipulated. Like even if you look at the last five years and, you know, foreign powers meddling in elections and Brexit and all, you know, there's all these kind of perceptions that can't, that may or may not be able to be proven. You know, we're not going to get into that, but it's a circumstance that the question of the authenticity of what we are being fed, given consuming, I think even makes a stronger case for a moral-based framework for how to interact and accept a reality. Because I believe, based on where things are going, the authenticity of what is coming in front of us is going to be more and more questionable because there are more and more driving interests in relation to pulling things different way, economic, political, whatever it happens to be. And, And I think that at some point, irrespective of age or experience, an individual will get to a point where they go, okay, look, um, I think I know what's going on based on this set of inputs. However, I can only um, authenticate what I can authenticate and the things that I can't authenticate. Do I take them and take that as a reality and then move on? Or alternatively, do I go back to something inside of me in relation to how will I react based on what I know 
And again, I, 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 my brain keeps coming back to there's really something within this moral principle-based structure of reality acceptance that I don't think has been... Like I, ha- I haven't encountered anything from a literature or conversational perspective in, in my professional career that's kind of, you know, looking at this beyond kind of the basic stuff, which, you know, mission, vision statements and, you know, guiding, guiding principles and North Stars and all this stuff. But it's all seen as very fluffy and very abstract that kind of guides a company or a leader or a team to go and do something based on what they're trying to achieve. But that's the point. It's outcome driven as opposed to something which is more purposeful mm-hmm. a way to live as opposed as opposed to i do i do x to achieve y mm-hmm. maybe think... maybe the outcome is living a good life yeah, yeah. that we need to focus I... on and and our def- whatever our definition of a good life being a good person is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i actually think before we can even talk about purpose and yeah, and morality, we need to make it safe to share reality and to be real with each other. Because as I'm listening to you guys, I hear so much about, you know, the potential of um, technology and manipulation to mess up our certainty of knowing what's real, what is actually, um, you know, uh, what, what is actually real in the moment. So the trust of me even trusting myself is getting eroded and if that is so which i believe it is so then it to me it makes sense that there's an increasing demand for acceptance and mindfulness based frameworks to help re-educate people to almost sense what's real mm. in the in the midst of being manipulated in the midst of being uh, having memories implanted, having opportunities to 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 have more and more layers of reality be, being put on top of each other, um, and I just I just keep wanting to come back to this idea of sharing and sharing authentically. So, Adam, before we're talking about purpose and morality. It's about opening up a little bit, like you know, like lifting, yes. lifting, uh, yeah. lifting from the veneer, lifting up uh, this question of, um, I wonder what it's like to sit to be in your skin. I wonder if you could tell me um, what it feels like to be Adam today, and in that way, I'm creating, you know, a bit of a possibility of two truths being real, but I'm also creating this kind of this openness to different realities both being right and true and i mm. i'd like to add another word to this vulnerability yeah i think we're not going to get to morality and purpose driven and and you know wholesome action unless we're talking about ourselves and the leaders that are listening to this maybe considering that vulnerability is the superpower here you know vulnerability and sharing what is real for me in this and really genuinely wanting to hear for to what it's like to be you in this reality mm. so we can almost reground ourselves in 
Yeah, we all want the same thing. Adam, I loved so much that you reminded us that most of us want the same thing. But yeah. we forget. Yeah. So we need to ground ourselves through our five senses in the, yeah, this is what it feels like to be Matt today. This is what it feels like to be Adam today. Adam. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Vulnerability is a superpower. I've heard that a couple of times over the last couple of months particularly during at the moment we're heading towards the end of 2020 so we're still in the in the midst of of global pandemic and it's it is a superpower it's absolutely a superpower it creates a a, a, a very credible line of empathy with those who you are you are prepared to be vulnerable in front of and you kind of what you're doing is you're. This might be a bit too abstract, even from my mind. What am I kind of doing? In, if I'm being vulnerable, and I'm sharing, and you are empathising with my vulnerability, are we not creating a new reality based in a particular set of very human moral conditions or principles on which that then we can start to make decisions and move in particular directions from, as opposed to listening to news inputs and papers and videos and things? Why don't we create? a deeper understanding through the the reciprocity of being empathetic, like truly empathetic and you know, really understanding each other on, you know, if it's a team or a company or even, uh, you know, citizens of a country to know, okay, well, this is who we are. This is what we want. And this is the direction that we're going. And I, I like that on paper, my immediate kind of knee jerk is, well, how much of this is just a reincarnation of fake it till you make it just a little bit twisted because what we're trying to do is we're bringing in an aspirational objective and then we are going to, you know, actualize ourselves into that reality. Like, isn't it kind of somewhat similar? I don't know. I thought you, I thought you were going, um, isn't this somewhat risky to, to, to go there, but uh, you're going in a different direction. I'm just thinking that um, disclosure, you know, vulnerability is effectively the same as disclosure. Uh, like vulnerability, like to disclose, right? To share, to explore, to ask, and then to listen for the answer. That's what we're talking about. Um, and you could um, share stuff that's really personal about you, about your history, about who you are. Um, you know, and so you re remake who you are. Like, so, so I'm, I think I'm a fake. I'm going to make it. Um, and this route that we're discussing right now is for me to share um, my insecurities. But there's a do another type of di disclosure that I think is more relevant for this. And that is less going into the fake it to make it realm, Adam. And that's um, disclosing what's real for me in the moment right now. What's real for me in the meeting right now. Um, exploring what is real for you, Matt, in the meeting, mm. um, trying to understand why, Adam, you are now uh, silent, for example, and inviting you to share with me what your reality of the moment is. I don't need you to share your history or your ambition even of what you want to become. Mm -hmm. I'm basically going back to the, the base discussion that we were starting from with what is acceptance. Acceptance means being open to sitting with good, bad, and ugly in the moment. And it's that openness of mind that we're trying to train, right? That we're trying to get people to practice by 
holding truth a bit more lightly because my truth is only one of three right now. And by inviting two different truths in, mm. that's the disclosure and that's the sharing that I'm talking about. Yeah, so, and that acceptance of that, sh oh, okay, if you're doing it by yourself, accepting that alternative perspective is incredibly difficult. For example, yeah. you know, I think I'm stupid, so now I need to tell myself repetitively that I made an error, but because I made mm. an error, I am not stupid. Like, it, it, it's disconnecting, you know, cause and effect or cause yeah. and perceived perceived yeah. reality. That's mm. an interesting one. That's what um, I think. judgment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Matt. What that's what I think, and because we're talking about awareness here, right? Yeah, we're talking about self-awareness, and that's what I I say. If you want to improve performance in your organizations, practicing mindfulness, self-awareness training by yourself is so much less effective than awareness training with each other. You guys are so much more mindful of me right now, and based on our history, that if I want to increase my awareness of myself, we need to help each other become more self-aware right so so this doing this by yourself is really hard but in a leadership team practicing openness practicing perspective taking that's the that's the gold dust that gets us to be in that you know that starting point position of saying okay right so what options do we actually have what's the what's the most creative solution because mm -hmm. that's why we're talking about acceptance aren't we we're talking mm -hmm. about acceptance because we want to make smarter more strategic decisions in yeah. the place of an increasingly multi-reality environment that freaks me out it does but you know i think if we go back several thousand years um you know marcus aurelius said everything we hear is an opinion not a fact Everything we see is a perspective, not the truth. And I think if we realise that actually, uh, it, I'm of that increasing belief that because the world appears to be so much more complex than it ever was, and we have made it more complex, but at the same time, it's still just as simple. You know, you wake up or you don't in the morning. You need food to, you need you need to eat to fuel your body you know, it's more comfortable if you have shelter and a warm bed. You know, the 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 realities of our existence haven't existence haven't really changed, and yet we've made them so much more complicated for us for ourselves. And I think we get hung up on trying to understand to really understand the truth of what is going on in the world, whereas actually just accepting that the sun's out or it's not, it's raining or it's not. Those those small things that we can accept become much easier. I think it becomes harder when you're then trying to navigate a path for an organization because what you're trying to do there is not just go right everybody you know we need to make sure everybody has food on their plate and yada 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 or we've got an organization that we need to keep well that it would be preferable for it to survive I think is probably the word to use there um, you know and, and you will feel responsibility for for navigating a path through um you know through through uncharted waters but i think it a lot of the time then is just making sure that you're, you're you've got a, a, a way of sitting with the relevant inputs and trying to be actually say well which of these do we do we really need to listen to 
and who around the room feels that this one is more important than that one and and can you explain and sitting with everybody's truths um and and perceptions so that you can try and come up with a more multi-sided perspective on the reality that each of us are perceiving yeah that's the, that's the catchphrase sitting with everyone's truths and coming up with a more multi-level multi-dimensional version of reality is that how you just said it Matt yeah pretty much I think you said it a little bit nicer <laughs> Adam I thought that's a, that's a key phrase that we want to remember it, from today. It, 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 it's absolutely definitely a key phrase but then to loop back something that back to something you said Jutta in relation to looking at the what if because if I'm in an executive leadership team and we are looking at a reality from very different perspectives and there are different truths and we have acceptance of that. So we have more data in which we can then kind of evaluate and make better decisions. But then it's also, okay, well, let's spend a bit of time on the principles of scenario planning. Mm -hmm. What if this happens? What if, you know, Matt's view on the world is more accurate than mine or Yuta's or whatever? And, you know, and start to really explore the dimensions of different realities um you know by default we are going to have a stronger understanding of the environment real or otherwise perceived or otherwise factual or otherwise um on which we can then make better decisions and then as you look out the window or gather your data or wherever you are pulling your reality from based on the conversation you're having or the decision you're trying to make, you're then going to know those what-ifs. And you'll see the what-ifs if they start to pop up earlier and then you can get ahead of it. So then you can actually be closer to the reality that you're living as opposed to just the way that you see it. Mm. That would be one way that I would kind of roll roll that into something that's practical and actionable. Yeah, and for me watching and observing and commenting on it um, I would say that's absolutely in line with where the data on effective teamwork is because the data bizarrely says the process of teamwork matters much more than the content of what people discuss if the process as an experience experientially is a process of acceptance is a process of exploring possibility just quantitatively the options and the choices and the opportunities for choosing the right choices is bigger so what you've talked about is effectively a focus on a process that promotes psychological flexibility and that promotes open-mindedness and that promotes perspective taking Mm. and And i think there's also yeah go ahead that's good yeah sorry i was gonna say i think there's also you know the acceptance of the validity of different perspectives, back Ooh. to Matt, the point you're, you're making. For example, if, um, if I'm going to cook dinner tonight and I look at a recipe, I look at the recipe and it's asking me to do all these things, like, you know, you're going to make this particular dessert, you need to go out, and you know, I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, it's got strawberries in it, and the strawberries are out of, out of season, and you know, they want me to go and do all this work and make this thing, and it's too hard, and uh, it's too much, versus... Matt might be making dessert tonight and he can pull the strawberries and uh, out of the freezer. He has whipped cream in a can, so that's no problem. And he can bang the dessert together in a couple of minutes. Both of these perspectives are true, but they're coming from different experiences and perceptions. 
and valuing those because some ways under particular circumstances, my reality of the way forward will be right. We're better off not to make that dessert. And in some ways, Matt's reality will be right because it'll be so easy. It'll be an easy win. And even just through that as an example, we can start to come up with different variants of a solution set to ultimately reach the objective that we're trying to get to. So I think it's it's the, the acceptance and true understanding and empathizing with the perspective and what that actually means. Because I think not only will you understand the other person, I think it'll also broaden your own perspective of how you see the circumstances ultimately becoming a better leader, I think, because you're then going to understand the world in which you're operating in with, with, with much more depth and you know, technicolor, for want of a better phrase. You've just said the how-to to promoting acceptance in yourself and in a team. I've written it down. It is the action and the proactive, consciously deliberate action of valuing different realities, guys. Mm. I'm going to take that one away. Mm. Lovely. I like it. I like it. Matt, what are you taking away, sir? Oh, so I've learned so much today. To summarize it in just, you know, in just one kind of thing, it would be, it would be remiss. But I, I think what I what I really liked is is kind of the multi levels of truth, the you know the different layers, and just the different perspectives, and and trying to, again, just try to being trying to be mindful of accepting that what we see is just a very narrow um, view of reality and that by you know maybe if you shift your perspective 90 degrees you're seeing a different object even though you're looking at the same thing and I think for me that just that that just is so powerful when we see everything that's going on in the world at the moment where actually not just looking at it from a self perspective but from a group perspective and from a, what does this mean from my values perspective um, is, is really important. You know, if you go and put yourself in another environment, you want to be able to represent yourself with those same consistent values, whether it's real or artificial. And I think that's going to be one of the key things that, that as a human race, we're going to have to contend with um, is, is how do we deal with multiple versions of reality, life inside the matrix, if you will. <laughs> mm, yeah absolutely <laughs> that was a fun there but yeah, yeah. I, I, I think you're absolutely bang on again it's yeah and when you when you look at those multi you know those different versions of reality and empathize and connect with other people's perspectives and and adopt them and you know truly understand them i think it comes down to an element of then how you communicate again like this comes out of my mouth so often you know, it's not what you say it's how you're heard so if you're trying to connect with people who see things differently or have different realities, um, you know, show that you understand and even show when you don't understand. Mm. Oh, what is it? You're to um, uh, uh, um, be fascinated, be curious without judgment. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's this like, oh, what's going on there? I don't really understand, but I want to. And it's in a non-threatening, non-judgmental way. So I, I, I think I think that then leads into kind of one of the two, my main takeaways from this. The first in relation to the power or the value that can come from a moral or principle set model 
of how to conduct one's person when there is ambiguity or uncertainty or not complete information in relation to reality or what's actually going on. And, and doubling down on that feels relatively safe um, because what's the next best alternative? Doing nothing, you know, putting your head in the sand, faking it till you're making it, believing the lie, like you know, the, 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 the battener is relatively rubbish. Um, the other takeaway that I that I like is is one that's much more from how all three of us reacted to the topic of where technology is driving this conversation. It's like it is the spanner in the works in relation to what is real. Like this game is changing and how it will be used for good and for bad remains to be seen. But, you know, kick around in a few corners of the internet and you'll see what I mean. Like, you can see some things which absolutely are not true and 100% believable. And we as people, as leaders, as as citizens, you know, we we need to reconcile this and understand our relationship with these inputs. And that, therefore, makes a stronger case to really understand, you know, what are the principles that we're going to stand on when we start making decisions moving forward in, in, in a more in a more... It's a technological-based world. How fascinating. I say, let's keep talking. (laughs) Curious without judgment. I like it. Excellent. The strategy behind accepting reality. Like and subscribe. And should you enjoy more of this banter, we have other topics and yet more to come. Don't we? Watch this space. (laughs) Fabulous. Adam Cox is a trusted strategic advisor to leaders, executives and organisations across the globe. Dr. Yuta Tobias Mortlock is a social psychologist who researches and advises on how to help people at work be and do well. Dr. Matt Wilkinson is a marketing strategist and educator who helps life science and tech companies bring disruptive products and brands to market. If you're interested in the presenter's work or wish to sign up for their newsletters, go to thestrategybehind.com. The Strategy Behind is an original podcast produced and engineered by Santiago Castello. Music is composed by Judson Lee. And to find more episodes, visit thestrategybehind.com forward slash podcast. Thank you.